Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Matthew Barton. How are you, Matty? Good afternoon. It's, uh, it's morning, so bad start Good already. Good afternoon somewhere in the world. It probably is, but not here where it matters. <laughs> How have you been? Well, yeah. my wife's close to um, popping. Leaving you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. When I say popping, I mean... Uh, we're Giving expecting, <laughs> expecting a second child. Yes. So that's exciting. Close to 39 weeks. That's, uh, that's, that's any moment now. Yeah. And so that means you're just going to disappear for a couple of weeks. People do say that. Yeah. People do say that. It's okay, everybody. I know that all that matters to you is that the podcasts are uploaded every single week and they will be. So don't worry. We'll cover you. Um, but when Bub comes, enjoy that time. I've had two. It is not easy. Uh, it's definitely easier for me than it was for my wife, and I think you'll probably find the same. They, they just—I I don't know how—I don't know how they do it. They are amazing. As I said to you, they have more gears than us males. Oh, yeah. They uh, just put into the sixth and seventh. Yeah. Whilst you know we're in, still in second gear. I was in the fetal position, revving out in the corner, <laughs> rocking back and forth, sucking my own thumb. My wife basically had three babies to look, look after when my second came. So, but. Congratulations for when Bub comes. Uh, and uh, well, today, this is a different type of long form podcast than we usually do because we usually take like a discrete part of the human body or a function or some sort of system and we talk about it from top to toe. Today, we're taking a very important part of neuroscience, uh, both neuro- neuroanatomy and neurophysiology. Mm-hmm. And we're actually looking at it through a different lens. Giving you an update. Yeah, it really is an Paradigm update. Paradigm shift. 
Well, that's why- Is it that big? It is. It's really important because okay. I would say that everybody who probably listens to this podcast has been exposed at some point to what we're going to be talking about today. And it's going to, it's uh, totally different to what we had all originally thought. Or mo- modified. It's not totally different. It's, it's significantly different. It's just different. updated. It's significantly different. All right. Yeah. Um, we'll let you be the judge. All right. Listeners. Well, let's jump into it. We are today talking about the motor cortex. We're talking about the way that the brain originates motor movement, stimulates the muscles of the body to perform those movements. And we're focusing specifically on the part of the brain where these motor movements originate from and the muscles of the body are mapped too. So if we go back to basics and we go back to the lobes of the brain, now the lobes of the brain are the cortices. It's the outer two to five millimeters of the brain. Okay, so we're looking at the cerebrum here, right? Yes. And so if we break that into the five lobes, you're saying the outer part of those lobes is the cortexes? Or yes. cortices? Well, the, the outer part of the cortex can be broken up into lobes. Okay. Can I? Yeah. So the lobes are the cortices and you've got five different lobes of the brain. So for example, you've got the frontal lobe, which is sitting at the front of the brain. Uh, that's going to be really important when it comes to cognition, uh, higher order reasoning, executive function, learning, executive but, function. But for today, especially for motor. Motor movement, yes, which is probably redundant, but that's right. Originating motor activity. That's something I'd say. <laughs> it's true. So that's the frontal cortex, but you've got other lobes or cortices. So behind that, you've got the parietal. Behind that, you've got the occipital. On the side near your ears, you've got the temporal, and then deep to the temporal, you've got the insula, which we will talk about a little bit today as well. Yes, but let's focus on the frontal lobe because we know that right where the frontal lobe meets the parietal lobe, which is pretty much near the crown. Of your head? Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit in front of that. Uh, that's sort of where the frontal lobe meets central the parietal. Gyrus. You've got, yeah, that, that bump up on your brain called the central gyrus. Um, oh, no, sorry, sulcus. sulcus. Yeah. That was a test and you failed. I did because I just thought so the that the sulcus you knew. is the big valley. It the, is. The, the, the valley between the sensory and the motor. Yeah, it's sort of the line that separates, that central sulcus is the line that separates the frontal lobe from the parietal lobe. Uh, and that front- it's like the Nile Valley. Yeah, you, you could. I wouldn't, but yeah, go for it. So anyway, in front of that central sulcus, you've got the pre-central gyrus. That makes sense. And that's a bump up. Well labelled. Yep. And this gyrus historically was a map, was this uh, linear strip of, you know, bumped Egypt. up brain. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, don't. Everyone ignore, ignore Matt's analogies because I don't think they're working today. You know, actually, my students the other day said, oh, we really like your analogy with, uh, um, what did I do? Oh, here we go. Constantinople. Oh, with what? the immune system. Oh, one? no, they did. Yes, yeah, they did. They're tongue like, in oh, cheek, they're though. They're like, awesome. Was it tongue in cheek? Could have been. Could have yeah. been. I think they were teasing you. And you're sitting <laughs> I there I can going, never decide. Wow, that's awesome. And they're laughing behind your back. That's okay. We do that to you all the time. Um, so this pre-central gyrus uh, historically, traditionally, if you open up your neuroscience textbook or any other anatomy physiology- When you say historically, you're meaning like 100 years, not like back to Aristotle times. Sorry, I didn't realise that <laughs> historically wasn't history. Any moment I just want to give context to, here. It's any moment, 1930s, we're going 1930s. Any moment prior to today's history, just so you're aware, and if it was spoken about like in any moment prior well. to today- it's known as being historic. So I stand by my statement. All right. Historically. But I just like to add a bit more 
depth to this and say, let's go 1930s. Okay. We, I'm sweating now. You've worked me up. All right. So, yes, 1930s. If you want to frame it contextually, 1930s. From the 1930s till today, your textbooks have shown this strip of the precentral gyrus as being the home of your motor cortex. And you often will have in your textbooks this man-looking thing that I kind of like to you. Well, I was going to say it was quite similar to you, uh, called the homunculus. Uh, and the homunculus, this man. Describe it. Describe it. Actually, I've got a picture here. Of the motor homunculus? Yeah. So the motor homunculus is a picture of a man, but he's got these exaggerated features. Yes. So, for example, he's got large hands, large feet, large tongue. Uh, what else is large? Yeah, the hand in particular is huge. Yeah. So it looks like it's got agromegaly. Yeah. Um, but you have very big face, tongue, um, mouth. Yes. And so this homunculus is a representation of what parts of the brain map to certain muscles yeah. of the what body. Part, what part of the motor cortex. That's right. And the bigger – To the contralateral part of the body. Yeah, so the opposing side. Mm. So the bigger – the part of the brain or the part of the motor cortex dedicated to a, a muscle. The more hardware. Yes. So, so for example, if I've got uh, – so my hand has a lot of intrinsic muscles involved for its movement for fine motor movement. And so there's a lot of muscles that need to be stimulated from my motor cortex to tell my hand to move. And so is it – Wait a sec, wait, okay. wait a sec. So you've got a large area of your motor cortex dedicated to your hand, right? But, but for it- example, your back – where there's not a lot of muscles. Yeah, but to I'm going to push back on that. You're going to have a small. I'm just saying this is what the motor homunculus map says on in yeah, your. Yeah, I'm okay with that, but I'm not. I'm not necessarily agreeing with you in the fact that your hand has more muscles to control. I'm saying fine that, control. Yeah, fine control. That's so what I'm. It's just say. got so of the muscles of your hand because it's represented in a bigger portion of your motor cortex. It's suggesting that you have more hardware to control those muscles more precisely. Yes. No, you, you worded that far better than I did and that's that's absolutely correct. And that's unusual for me. Yeah. Well, you've everyone gets one. So <laughs> so you've got a larger part of the brain. But that does make sense, right? Because, you know, like you don't really need to have a fine motor control of your back muscles necessarily. I'm not saying they're not important. <laughs> no, but you don't. And yeah. that's why you've got a very small part of your motor cortex dedicated to your back. Yeah. So when you look at this motor homunculus, small back, small abdomen, big hands, you know, so the areas that require fine motor movement is just larger in this big motor tongue. homunculus. Big tongue, right? Which is important because speaking. A lot mostly. of intrinsic muscles mm-hmm. within the tongue to allow for us, and intrinsic control of, yes, of, of right. tongue muscle, I should say, or muscles. Um, so anyway, so traditionally- That's the paradigm. Traditionally, when you look at this, it's a strip that goes down the entire precentral gyrus and- You've got now. Do you have a do you have a, a picture in front of you yep. of it now? Can you say starting from central yep. right and then moving more laterally down the side of the motor uh, cortex? Yep. What parts are mapped to what parts so of the body? The most central portion. Yep. Would be the toes. Yep. Then it just goes proximally. So toes, ankle, knee, hip. Now it goes into the torso. Yep. So it's going to go hip, trunk, shoulder. Now into the Upper limb, elbow, wrist, and then a humongous hand. Yep. Okay. And then discrete areas for each fingers. Mm-hmm. And then it will go up to the head. Right. So kind of and then going face. neck, brow, face, huge mouth, 
like its mouth's open, right? Like it's trying to, to eat a hamburger, yeah, and then goes to a separate area on pharynx and tongue, right? So that's going from the midline, so right where the hemispheres split, yep, up to the top of the brain, and then move laterally down to the side of the brain. So that's following this strip. So basically, what you're saying is that the traditional very linear, view, very linear, yeah, it's a very linear view where very discrete areas are mapped to different parts of the body. And that's it. That's what we've learned for the past nearly 100 years in our textbooks. And the whole purpose of this podcast... And how did they... You haven't said this, right? How did they ascertain that? Well, uh, Penfield and colleagues, Penfield et al, uh, did electrode research where they basically got people or they got uh, monkeys or some sort of non-human primate and they stimulated parts of the motor cortex and had a look and saw what muscles moved. And so they saw this working for hands and feet and mouth and they said, okay. And I think that's the discrete regions that they found. Hands, feet, mouth. Yeah. Yep. And then they just extrapolated all in between those should just be the rest of the body. Well, that's the point we want to highlight today is that they were right with hands, feet and mouth. Yes. But the other parts of the body, like you said, they extrapolated and – basically said, okay, well, if that's where hands are, this is where arms going to be and then this is where shoulder yeah. and this is where torso and this is where and, – and sort of filled in the gaps between hands, feet and mouth on this motor cortex. And what this latest paper, which is the update – But I will say, can I just add something there? But they – Listeners going to love this. The, the feedback s- we're going to get about your interruptions in this podcast oh, are going to be – That's what makes me. <laughs> but I think they also said – along this line, that there was a lot of controversies in this system or this, what would you say, concept. Yeah. That even with non-human primates, they did found there was discrepancies to this model that we just outlined, mm. that that the non-human primates don't, doesn't fit as model. neatly as this. Yeah. So a lot of neuroscientists were like, uh, yeah, this might be just okay, but there's a lot of problems with this. Yet it was the dogma. Yeah within neuroscience textbooks and anatomy physiology textbooks for nearly 100 years. I mean, I don't remember once reading in those textbooks that this is hypothesized. I read that this is what it is. And I've taught this for a decade. And so this new paper, so a new paper has come out basically updating- In nature? In nature, yeah. Updating our understanding of- exactly what's happening here at the motor cortex. And this paper is called A Somatocognitive Action Network Alternates with Effector Regions in Motor Cortex. So there you go. That explains everything. <laughs> Everyone have a wonderful day. Um, so published in Nature uh, April 19th, 2023 this year. It's only, what, three Fresh weeks off the old. press. Three weeks old. Fresh off the press. Really important paper. Um, basically... Let's talk about what it says. No, let's talk about what they did yeah. and then we can talk about the results that they got and how it contravenes or updates the paradigm. So what did they do, Matt? Uh, so they, they basically looked at fMRI studies. So that, that's the approach they they used. So they yep. used an MRI scanner and but a functional MRI, which I don't know, Measures huge amount, flow. but just looking at the activity within the brain. So not just an image of the brain, but the activity and I guess mostly that is blood flow and you can assume that where you have more blood flow, you have more neural activity. Yes. That's, that's, that's what, yeah. So they did a a number of subparts to this study. So they looked at a small number of individuals and then got them to do certain things within the um, MRI scanner, like just stay still or do very 
discrete movements and then kind of process what parts of the brain lit up or what part of the motor cortex, which they called M1, um, lit up when you did those movements. Yes. And, and then they kind of just got a, a big reference guide from that. Then once they were confident with those results, then they went retrospectively back to a huge uh, data sets, so up to 50,000 individuals, which I think was termed – it was from Britain, which is the Human Connectome Project. And so 50,000 individuals and went back to those and looked whether the results from their earlier stuff matched this. So they got them in the fMRI and they said, okay, do some fine motor movements. Like let's just say moving the fingers or moving the toes. Do some more gross motor movements. So maybe move your whole arm and do some more complex motor tasks. Like let's say um, handling a particular device in the hand, moving it around or maybe performing some other more complex um, uh, prob- uh, movement that recruits other areas of the body. Yep. And so then they mapped to the brain, each of those, and like you said, then compared to a larger cohort. Yeah, and that cohort could have been in studies that weren't relevant to this at all. Sure. But they just had been able to compare that if in these particular studies they may have done some motor movements and then seen if that matched to that part of the brain. Then they looked at over the age continuum, so they looked at adults, children, I think nine years of age, infants, neonates, so newly born, and then they – did a cross species, so human and macaques, which is a type of primate. Mm. And they looked in clinical versus normal models, so post-strokes. So it's not a bad study. Yeah. Like I, I thought it was a well-done study, well-executed, and the results were very interesting. Mm. So what they basically found was that original uh, homunculus somatotype that it's called, or the somatotopography of the brain, so basically the body map on the brain that Penfield or in the motor cortex. In yeah. the motor cortex, I should say, coined in the 1930s, is that some aspects of it still stand, yet there's some added things to it that seem to be extremely important. So the new model basically states that it's a there's a dual system there. And so the dual system is this integrate-isolate model. So the isolate aspect is what Penfield stated earlier, that there are discrete yeah. areas of the motor cortex. And there's, there seem to be six areas along that cortex. Dedicated to hands. Yeah, so there's still so – the six? Th- I thought it was hands, feet and mouth. Yeah, there's still those. Yeah. But then they found areas between those three. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So that's the six. That, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And they're so, like, so what's this and what's this doing? Because this doesn't seem to match the others. Exactly. Mm. So, you know, when they got them to do, you know, move the fingers, you know, they saw a very specific part of the brain light up that matched with what Penfield said. Same with the feet or toes and then same with the mouth. But then what they found was that when you start to move the limb, like the upper limb, for example, that it wasn't a linear firing of the motor cortex. It didn't go from one spot and then go up and then move, move around. It actually was mapped in concentric rings. So you had an area mapped to the hand and then when you told the arm to move – that a ring area surrounding the hand lit up. And then when you told closer to the shoulder to move, another area further out from that ring lit up. So it's not a linear model, it's a concentric model. And so the only thing that stood the test of this experiment from Penfield to today is the hands, the feet and the mouth, or at least the upper limb, the lower limbs and and, and the mouth. The face mouth, yeah. But everything else seems to be a bit different. Like you said, 
dispersed between those these areas. areas are these new what we call integrated areas. Yeah. And that's why it's called that's why it's a dual system called an integrate isolate model. The isolate is just moving the individual muscles. Yeah. Uh, but the integrate is what's really important here. So what what did you find out about what this integrate these integration areas do? Well, I think it like you said, so maybe if you were just doing tasks where you're just using your fingers and you didn't necessarily need to involve other body regions, that it may remain isolated. But if you were to, let's say, walk, then your body not only has to coordinate the muscles to tell the limb to move. So, for instance, saying, okay, I need to turn on the hip flexors, the quadriceps, the, quadriceps, the hamstrings, blah, blah, blah but you have to also coordinate a lot of other body movements at the same time. The torso, the back, swing the limbs. Yep. And so that's when you're brought in these kind of inter-effector regions. Yep. And that would then coordinate other regions of the body to also become active. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And this is where it's slightly different, is that we knew that the isolated areas for the hands, feet, and mouth, we knew that they did speak to other areas of the brain to help coordinate the muscle activity. So for example, it would speak to the cerebellum, it would speak to the basal nuclei, it would speak to the thalamus, and it would speak to other parts of the sensory cortex because it needs constant sensory feedback. So we knew that because that's all part of the the motor activity and motor movement sequencing and pathway. But these inter-effector areas, these integration areas, they seem to be more holistic. They seem to call upon not just different areas of the body, different muscles of the body, but it seems to call upon different parts of the brain. Right, discrete regions. Discrete regions that we didn't think were actually involved necessarily in motor activity and motor coordination. So is this termed as the con? Term the con. That's right. Okay, so what were these... What were these? You tell regions? me. Okay, so what some of the, the regions? so some of these regions where these uh, within the motor cortex, these interspersed regions that are coordinating further activities in the brain, which is we're going to now refer to as con, yeah, which is cognitive yeah. control network. So it's sent into other parts of the brain. So other parts, for instance, were the cingulate cortex, the anterior prefrontal cortex, the insular, the dorsolateral. Putinum. Do you say Putinum? Putinum. Putinum. Yeah. Uh, the cerebellum and the thalamus. Yep. And so these are quite, some are fairly neighbouring, but yep. some are quite distinct or far away yes. locations. And, and for example, some of the areas that you said are part of the basal nuclei and cerebellum, which these uh, isolated muscle areas um, 
we knew or spoke to, but the study shows that they actually talk to these areas in a different way through right. different pathways. So while they still talk to the same areas of the brain, like the cerebellum for coordination, balance, um, and t- muscle tone, it actually speaks to it through different pathways than the isolated muscle groups. And so this con, this cognitive um, control network, network. Uh, basically is, again, bringing pretty much everything into the picture. And it even speaks to like the, the deep viscera of the body. Like it's talking to the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system. It's talking to the digestive system, the and that, vascular and that, yeah. supply. And that would be specifically the insula, which I think in that region is the interoception, which would be all those things you mentioned. So temperature, pain, hunger, thirst, regulating internal body yep. activities. So by eliciting motor commands, it's not only refining the movement down, but it's also telling the body, prepare yourself yeah. for potentially a whole lot of activity. Yes, and it, it, th- and that's it. It's about physiological preparation. Uh, a lot of the time we used to think that if I want to play the piano, a complex movement, that I had to stimulate very specific discrete areas of my motor cortex because that's where the hand is, that's where the arm is, that's where this is, and we had to fire them discreetly but in a pattern sequence way to make it all sort of work together. But now what we're showing is, yes, we may have to stimulate the fingers and arms in those isolated concentric ring areas that we said earlier, but now we have to stimulate the other areas that basically speak to everywhere else. It's talking to cognition. It's talking to planning. It's talking to execution. It's talking to basal nuclei, cerebellum for smoothing out and coordinating that movement. It's talking to the organs of the body. It's talking to the heart. It's talking to the respiratory system so that you've got – so overall they're calling it this this, uh, goal planning region um, because it helps saying, I know what I need to do. I need to stimulate this area to get it done. So would would you then assume then – going to the example of playing the piano where this is a learnt movement that you've and it's sometimes the term some people use is muscle memory right mm-hmm. where over time you've learnt that skill it's taking you a lot of hours to get to proficiency yep um would you assume then if you were ready that to start to play the piano then the firing will begin in those centers and then go into those other regions, or is is it still potentially in the? I think it would still be prefrontal the, kind of pre- planning I area. I think it would still go from the premotor cortex uh, to this motor cortex because you still need the, the planning part. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's co-activation because it seems to be that activating this area coordinates the entire complex movement, and it. And that then makes sense because when you're playing the piano, which is such a, a, a coordinated activity, yeah. you would need to send it areas to the basal ganglion, the cerebellum, and the prefrontal areas as well as the um, somatomotor regions yeah. to be able to execute such a precise movement. Right? Plus your breathing changes and your heart rate changes and all of those things change. And we used to think that – when you, uh, historically, when you stimulated certain parts of the motor cortex, let's just say to go for a run, right? And we thought, oh, we just stimulate the various muscles of the legs, arms, torso in a patterned way to run. Um, and then the, the rest of the body played catch up. The muscles started moving and the heart goes, wait a minute, I'm running now. Mm, that and, would make sense. And it responded. And then the respiratory system responded. It now makes sense that it's not- You've already 
prepared. You've prepared it. So there is a signal that goes to these organs amazingly that says, we're going to run now. So just prepare. Now it doesn't mean that the heart's going to then start beating crazy from the beginning, but it will beat when it needes to beat appropriately, and same with the or maybe it just kind of uh, what's the word? Not amplifies, but kind of I forget the, the term we use. It. It, oh, like in in preparation. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it more responsive. Yes, yes, and it probably does, and it, and so what this new information is basically telling us is that th- our previous model of the motor cortex is uh, not what we thought it was. One. The map of the body isn't linear. It's the map of the body, especially when it comes to s- stimulating very specific muscles, is concentric, with the distal parts in the middle, and then the more proximal parts. So going, let's just say, the fingers right in the middle. Then when we go to the wrist, to the arm, to the elbow, to the brachium, to the shoulder, then they're concentric rings that go further and further out from the hand. So it's not linear; it's concentric. That's right. the first thing. That's, That's for the hands, and, and do you, feet, and face. And does that mean the hand, like for the fingers, are deeper within that ring, or uh, more they're in the middle? They're right in the middle of the ring. Oh wow! Yeah, right. The hands right in the middle of the ring, and then wrist is further out, and then okay. arm further out, and then shoulder further out. So pro- distal right in the center, proximal furthest out, and so we've got that concentric ring shape for specific muscle activation for hands, feet, and face. And then dispersed between these areas are these integration areas. Inter-effector regions. These inter-effector regions. And the interesting thing there is um, newborns don't have those. The inter-effector regions? Which makes total sense. That comes about at about the – well, I can't say the the time point because they didn't do a whole, um, you know, longitudinal, but nine-year-olds had these regions that were more like adults. Interesting. So, and it, and you can make sense of it. Like, so when I look at my daughter who's two, you just look at how awkward she is. <laughs> she falls over like you all the time. No, just just how she's learning from the world all the time, right? Yeah. And how just you could see why it takes a year yeah. just to walk. Yeah. Because they have to start using muscles, but then understand what they're doing for the body, yeah. and then coordinate them, fine tune them, but then see how it fits with all the other movements and everything else they're doing together. And you could see why it takes so long to do this. Yeah. Uh, the, the picture that we have now of the brain uh, when it comes to motor activity is now more complex. Generally, as we move through, we tend to like to think that, okay, things are becoming easier for us to understand. This is more complex now. But the benefit here is that we've, we now can understand a little bit better why people who experience strokes. Oh, so that's, that was going to be my next question. So what's the significance of this not not just the theory but maybe clinically so what they've been able to see in the past is that somebody might experience a stroke in the motor cortex and they may have some muscle coordination deficit uh and generally this this tends to happen when it's in the isolated areas but it seems to be that the great thing about having these inter-effector areas for a more holistic control is that because they have a, a, an ability to bring everything together and uh, have movement that it builds in more redundancy in the system. So you may have a stroke in a part of the motor cortex that may limit one's ability to move their hand, but this inter-effector region can do a job in sort of helping that hand move even without that fine control. So it helps to bring everything together. So it's a bit of redundancy even if that happens. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that it allows for us to understand a bit more now about if we need prosthetics 
if we need um, uh, deep brain sti- understanding yeah, yeah, where yeah. the brain is, deep yeah. brain stimulation. But it's uh, not just tell the muscle to move, but that area may be important as well. Yes, you don't want to damage a part of the brain that you thought originally was, let's just say, f- for the thumb, but it might also stimulate autonomic control of some other function. Well, what like, I mean is like you might not – if you wanted to move the hand, you're not just – working in that isolated area, you may have yes. to also work in the effector region as well. Yes. Uh, and it might have implications for certain uh, motor diseases as well. So this could include Parkinson's, could include motor neurons, Huntington's, maybe understanding Well, something these. I read this this week about Parkinson's that, that they are proposing. In the gut? In the gut. Yeah. What do you think about that? Because well, that's more your area. When I was doing my PhD in Parkinson's, so this is 10 years ago, I was – at a conference and I remember listening to all of these people and I'm like, it begins in the gut. Parkinson's, and this was just a hypothesis of mine. I'm just like. But were these people shunned then, do you think? Like if they're saying, oh, there's something in the gut it that's was, producing a it neurological was, outcome. No, people thought it was interesting because there were cases, I think in Sweden from over 10 years ago where they performed vagotomies. Okay. So the, the, the cranial nerve that basically goes from the gut to the brain and vice versa, they did we'll vagotomies. They would like, cut it. For too much acid or something. They, they would cut it and it would improve symptoms of Parkinson's patients. Or it – and I could be or, mis- or, misremembering or this. Maybe or it limited the uh, likelihood of them developing that's, Parkinson's. It sounds more right. I can't remember which I th- one I think the second would sound more plausible. The because I think does. once you've got once it – Once you've got it, you can't sort of – I briefly skimmed through this paper and it yeah. sounded like one particular type of microorganism, if you were to have this um, colonise your gut from the, the toxins that it produces within your gut. Or byproducts. Or byproducts. I think they use toxins, but, but that could be you know, endotoxin, exotoxin. Mm. Uh, it then, the way that that was processed by your immune system, but it maybe was taken through the vagus nerve back yeah. into your brain, yeah. then would lead to those pathological aggregations yes and then a bit and alzheimer's is now going potentially down that path as well that it's looking to be a an autoimmune yeah but locally within the brain the way that the the brain immune response to something yeah is it's not so much the tangles and the aggregates that's just the the, yeah that's a byproduct that's what you see like it's like you know there's been a big street fight and all you see afterwards is just um, things broken and so forth. Yeah. But what you've missed is what caused the street fright. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because we used to think that at least in Alzheimer's um, that the tangles, the plaques and the tangles. Like we're it, right? We're, we're part of the causative. Um, and I think there's some recent stuff where they've put, um, you know, antibodies and so forth and they can actually clear those tangles and stuff away. It doesn't actually mm-hmm. reverse. No, same with Parkinson's. Yeah. You know, you, you've got protein aggregates in Parkinson's, tau protein aggregates and so forth. Um, and we didn't know whether they were causative or a, a result of the disease. But it, it is interesting. But, but we do know – so, uh, you know, for years I thought, yeah, it, there is a gut-brain hypothesis here for Parkinson's. Um, but then when I started to really push through my PhD, I was looking at uh, genetic um, aberrations in genes that were involved in the mitochondria. And so then it started to become quite odd that you'd have mitochondrial dysfunction – resulting in Parkinson's disease and then couldn't link that up. So it could be many roads lead to Rome, right? Mm. So it could simply be there's a multiple 
there are multiple things causing Parkinson's disease and they all tend to just coalesce at the basal nuclei and the various dopaminergic neurons associated with it, resulting in the disease of Parkinson's, one of which may be a gut-based cause. Others may be genetic aberrations in mitochondrial genes, uh, and others might be genetic aberrations in neuronal synapsing right. genes. So I think that's likely what's happening, is that there's so no one genetic, cause. Genetic on environment. Yeah, I think it's, it's, there's, there's no one cause for Parkinson's, and I think it's the same for Alzheimer's. Because if you think about it, you've got a, f- at least for Alzheimer's, you, you've got a loss of brain mass. I mean, this is a, a, an important organ that is shrinking due to neurons dying. dying. And there's never going to be one cause for neurons dying. There can be multiple causes for neurons dying. Um, so anyway, that's obviously a bit of a digression, but the point we're trying to highlight is that the neuroscience changes and it's not because there's a, f- a fault or an issue with science. It's because science is iterative and, you know, I'm not annoyed or angry that I've been teaching the motor cortex in this linear Penfield homunculus model at all, because it gave us insight and understanding of the motor cortex in the brain and how, how it all works. But the great thing is more research comes out, which updates it. And hopefully we all see the new textbooks being updated <laughs> soon. I'm not holding my breath. It probably won't be updated for a couple of years because I know what it's like. Oh, there's a bit of a lag period, isn't there? There's a bit of a lag period. Between the updation and how long it takes to and come into print. And it's not easy to write a textbook, I can promise you that. Mm. Um, so, look, I hope that everyone uh, enjoyed our little update here on the motor cortex. If you do want to contact us, you can send us an email. I do think we're having potential issues with our emails at the moment. All right. I'll double check that. Um, well, Because we haven't received any for a while. So I think possibly the – I've um, changed the – Yeah. I think I bugged So if up. you have sent an email, we're not staging it on our podcast. But if you've sent us an email in the last two weeks, send us another email because I will have had it all fixed by the time you listen to this podcast. So gubiosciences at gmail.com or just go to our website – which is Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike. So D R M A T. If you directly D-R-M-I-K-E send it to D-R-M-I-K-E dot com dot A-U. It's through the website though. Yes. Okay. So I'll say that again because Matt <laughs> decided to talk over the top of me instead of waiting for me to finish what I was saying. Our website is Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike dot com dot A-U. What were you saying, Matt? Sorry? Oh, the, the issue with the emails is just from the website, not if you emailed directly to GU Biosciences. Gotcha. So there you yeah. go. Email directly to GU Biosciences if it's easier. Oh, Congratulations, Mike. You hit uh, half a million subscribers just recently in your YouTube. That's funny because you did also. How coincidental. We both hit half a million subscribers on our YouTube channel, uh, which we're both very proud about. So Matt and I together have a – what I am very proud of is a YouTube channel where we teach medical education for free, anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology. People tend to like it because half a million subscribers. And we're still – so we've got – uh, if you're watching this podcast as a video, hi everyone. We've got on the wall. You can watch this video on the YouTube channel. Hundred thousand subscribers, and that was only what was it last year or the year before? But we don't get one until a million. I know. So if you'd like to send us a plaque for, <laughs> for, five, for, for half a million in a image form, no, no, even better. How we'll, about we'll put it on the wall? Okay, we will. That's true. So that's a. And good when I say out. plaque, I don't mean an atherosclerotic one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I've got an image. Of those. Uh, or 
what you could do, which would be even better, is subscribe to our YouTube <laughs> channel if you don't to get us to a million subscribers so we can get the gold plaque. Let's do the both. Gold Let's do both. All right. Send us a I, plaque. I'm and gonna subscribe. I haven't discussed this with Mike, but I'll put it on the wall. For the next video? Yeah. All right. If you if, so if you send them through, send a nice image plaque. Um, 500,000 500, subscribers. Yep. And what color? The best one. No, that's their imagination. Okay. The best purple. one. I like purple. We will put on the wall. Deal. And we'll I make like sure that. we film that. We'll actually rotate episode. through it if we get more than one. We get just not my mother replying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great idea. We're going to do that. And that way, the next YouTube video will have that plaque on the wall. Uh, and we'll take a photo with it and we'll update our uh, socials with it because I think that's quite good. Uh, if you do want to follow us on the socials, you can go to Instagram, you can go to Twitter, you can go to TikTok, you can go to all of your favourite um, social media platforms and follow me because that's got a not on social quick media. Quick question for you. Firstly, I need to tell people how they can follow me. <laughs> it know. is they Dr. They... Mike Todorovic uh, and that's it. D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. Matt, would you like When's to When's your third challenge? When's your third challenge with Ninja Nerd? Ninja Nerd? All right, so as everyone knows, my arch nemesis, uh, Zach Murphy from Ninja Nerd, so if you don't know Ninja Nerd, they've got uh, 2 million subscribers for their medical education YouTube channel. Uh, look, they're wonderful people, um, but Zach is still my arch nemesis and we're trying to figure out who is the best medical educator in the online space. Whilst exercising. Well, not just, just while performing complex tasks. So we're using both the effector isolate or uh, what is it, the isolate integrate model here yep. uh, to teach medical education while performing difficult things. So the first task, push-ups while reciting glycolysis. The second task was back squats while reciting the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So you won the first one, he won the second. Yep. This is the decider. Now, Have you decided on what it's going to be? Okay, yes. So you'll be first to hear it here. So what we're going to do for the third <laughs> task is both Zach and I will be blindfolded and we will be performing a YouTube video at the whiteboard on a topic for 10 minutes. And that topic, I believe, from memory- 10 minutes, that's a long time. Is going to be the, or maximum 10 minutes, the bicarbonate buffer system, which means we have to write up formulas- and highlight them and underline them and talk about the respiratory and renal system. And we're doing it blindfolded. So it might be a little bit messy. Uh, but look, look like my videos. You, <laughs> but you, the listener or watcher, can vote to see who did a better job. So go onto our YouTube channel or my social media channels and have a look to see if I've uploaded anything on this third ch uh, challenge that we're performing. And if it's there, vote for me. And uh, I've made a trophy for this great med ed challenge have I have. And hopefully I win physical? it. A physical trophy. Wow. It's actually Is ready it for me to clay? pick up now. No, it's made out of uh, likely cheap plastic. And so- um, That looks gold. It does. It actually does look gold. So look- So if he wins, you're going to send it to America? I will be, yeah. Dang. At his cost. I like it. Matty, thank you for today, listener. Thank you. Subscribe, like, leave us a five-star rating, send us an email, tell us how much you appreciate what we do. If you don't appreciate suggest what we topics. do- Suggest uh, topics. Yes, suggest topics. And if you don't appreciate what we do, um, just don't send us anything and move on. Um, <laughs> nothing worse than receiving an email uh, that's 500 words saying uh, how much you dislike us. We don't but, get that very often. You do. I just delete them. That's your dad though. That's true. That's true. Just- throwing slurs at you. Uh, 
Thank you, dear listener, and thank you, Matt. Have a good afternoon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.